So this week I um, went to a funeral uh, down in the Chicago suburbs. My great aunt passed away, uh, and she lived a wonderful life of 96 years of age, and I have really fond memories of her. And so I went to the funeral, and at the funeral service I sat next to my mom, and I sat next to my second mom. Uh, my second mom is my Aunt Karen, my mom's sister, and, and my Aunt Karen is a Catholic nun. She's been a Dominican nun in the Catholic Church uh, my whole life, as long as I can remember, and just have a lot of sweet memories. And we began talking after the service, and she said, do you remember that time when you were like 8 to 10, and you really wanted to be a Catholic priest? And I said, yeah, I totally remember that. And I remember I used to, because uh, that was, I think it was the call to ministry in the only context I knew at the time. I grew up in the Catholic Church, and so I felt that call, but I, I really totally wanted to do that. And I remember I loved going to visit my Aunt Karen because she lived in the convent, and the convent had these really cool chapels. And what I'd do is I would go in these chapels, and I'd get all the altar boy gear on, and I'd say Mass as this aspiring Catholic priest in this chapel. And, and my aunt would come in and help me, and she, we'd have this Mass together and we talked about it and really enjoyed it. And then after that time, I did something, after uh, having that conversation after the lunch of the funeral, I did something I loved to do is I went away uh, on a three-day uh, silent prayer retreat where I go and I don't talk for three days and I just go before God and I pray. I pray for you as a church. I pray for me as your pastor and my soul. I pray that we stay connected to God. I prayed through the upcoming sermon series that God would have us to do. And I just worship the Lord. And I love doing these uh, retreats. I try to do once a quarter. And I love doing them at Catholic retreat houses. And the reason I love doing them at Catholic retreat houses is for a couple reasons. First of all, there's not a lot of people there, or the ones that are there, they um, understand you're in retreat, and sometimes they know that you might be in a silent retreat, so they don't come and talk to you. And so they understand that, and so I can be fine with that. Uh, the other part that I like about being in the Catholic retreat is they're often uh, connected to a Catholic church. And there's, a, uh, there's something about the Catholic Church, though I don't agree with a lot of their finer points of theology, uh, there's something about the aesthetics of a Catholic Church that bring me into the presence of God. I love stained glass. I love the big cathedrals. I love even the bells and the smells. I just love all that stuff, and it just kind of helps me go into God's presence. And so uh, I spent three days there, and I was praying, and I prayed through uh, all these different things, and I had a wonderful time in, on retreat. And then as I was leaving on Friday, uh, it was time to check out, so I was checked out. But the only winter coat I had uh, was my wool black overcoat I wore because I was, went to the funeral. I started with the funeral, and I had a suit at the funeral. So I had my wool overcoat on because the only coat I had, and I was wearing jeans and a sweatshirt underneath. You know, it was casual underneath with his overcoat. I was a fashion statement, let me tell you. And so I'm kind of a trendsetter that way. And so uh, I checked out. I'm walking out the front door, and so I got my black overcoat, and I'm pulling my little black handbag. As I'm walking out the door, a guy who's in front of me looks over and kind of catches me out of the corner of his eye, and so he goes first, and he opens the door, and as he's walking, as he's, he's kind of propping that door open, and I walked out, and he said, oh, by the way, make sure you come and visit us again, Father. <laughs> and in that moment, there was a nanosecond where all those desires of an 8- to 10-year-old came, and I was a Catholic priest. <laughs> and so you know what I did? I walked to the door, looked at him with a dignified smile and a nod, and I said, I will, God bless you, and I walked to my car. <laughs> it was fantastic. I think all of us are really good at being something we're not. 
I think all of us are really good at putting on certain masks. All of us are really good at kind of hiding who we really are. And I think a lot of times we do that in our relationship with God. I think when it comes to our relationship with God, he knows who we are. He knows all things. But I think we try to put this front sometimes in spiritual things, whether it's our time with him or how we act in the church, where we try to put this front on to kind of dress ourselves up so that we don't really show who we really are. And I think part of the reason we do that, the root cause of why we do that, is I think we don't know for sure if God would really love us as we truly are. If we were ourselves, warts and all, and all the things that we know about us that we wish we could change, and all those things, will God really love us in that place? Do we know God's love in those places? Do we really know his love and what it is like? And I think that uh, as we think through that, I believe God this Advent Christmas season wants to give Crossview Church a gift And the gift he wants to give us is he wants to show us what his love is like. He wants to show us his love. He wants us to know his love. And while I was on this retreat, before I left uh, on Tuesday, I prepared my whole sermon for today. I had it all set. And then when I was on the retreat, I really sensed God was saying, scrap that sermon, we're doing something totally different. And the sermon I was going to kind of bridge our series from uh, the discipleship in the digital age to Advent, uh, but God said, no, I, I want you to start something completely different, and so I'm trusting that's what we're supposed to do. So I called back to the church office, said, uh, stop the presses on the bulletin, stop the presses on the reading plan, stop the presses on the small group questions. I'm totally making a switch, and our staff is so amazing and gracious. They roll with it, and I really feel that God wants us as a church for the next four weeks to camp in the verse we read this morning, 1 John 4, 7 to 21, to know God's love. And so we are going to stay for four weeks in this passage of Scripture, and we're going to mine it, we're going to look at it, we're going to dig into it. Uh, if you look in your bulletin, there's a reading plan, and there's going to be a reading plan on that section of Scripture that you're going to read each day through this week and the next four weeks. And we're just going to stay in 1 John 4, 7 to 21, and I'm trusting that God, through that, shows us what his love is like. And some of you might say, man, I'm getting sick of this passage by the time we're into it. And I'm just going to say, well, then pray that God shows you more. Because I think we need to practice taking a chunk of Scripture and just hammering it and staying there and pulling out all the goodness of it. Because this Scripture is so rich, there's no way you can get everything in there in one pass. All right? So this is where we're going to anchor for the next four weeks. We're starting a new series today called uh, Down to Earth Love. Down-to-earth love. God came down to earth, and in doing so, he shows us his love. And so we're going to remain in 1 John chapter 4, 7 to 21. So if you have a Bible, I encourage you to open to that, to 1 John uh, chapter 4. Um, it's towards the back of the Bible. Uh, it's some of the last chapters in the back of the Bible are 1 John. If you have a sanctuary Bible, we'll be looking at page 1084. And we're going to camp out these next four weeks in 1 John chapter 4, 7 to 21. And today I want to focus on verses 7 to 9 mainly. Maybe we'll get into 10 a little bit. But verses 7 to 9 read this. 1 John 4, 7 to 9. Dear friends, let us love one another because love is from God. And everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. The one who does not love does not know God because God is love. 
God's love was revealed among us in this way. God sent his one and only son into the world so that we might live through him. He opens up, John opens up this passage with dear friends. And I love uh, the ESV translation. It opens up with beloved And what he's trying to communicate is he's this pastor figure, he's an apostle, and he's communicating to the church that he loves. He loves them, and he says, beloved or dear friends, I love you, and I care about you deeply, and I want to make sure that you know God's love. He says to them, love one another, and he cares about them, and he sees that in their congregation and in their midst, there isn't as much love as he would like to see. They're not loving each other as much as they ought, and and that grieves him in two ways because one, it grieves him that he, he knows that if they really knew God's love for them, it would totally transform their heart to be more loving people. And so he questions whether they know God's love for him. And then he questions because, because they don't know God's love in the way that they ought, that that love is not being circulated around in the church. And so his heart is breaking over this, so he's writing these things, and the command he gives is to love one another. That's the command he lays out. And we're going to cover two reasons why we should love one another, but I want to dive into that command a little bit. In verse 7, he says, Let us love one another because love is from God, and everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Verse 8, the one who does not love does not know God. So does that mean if you are not a Christian, you can't love at all? Does that mean if you don't know what God's like, you can never extend love? Well, I think part of the confusion is we use love in our culture in so many different ways. I mean, we love our spouse, and we love the Packers, and we love pizza, and we love mom. And if you talk to someone who's from our outside culture coming in, one of the things they get confused about with Americans is they say, you guys, use, you love everything, and, and I can't figure out, why do you, how can you love pizza and love your mom? I mean, there's got to be, and, and it's for, we know it as there's two different kinds of loves, right? But they don't see that. But I think that adds to the confusion when we talk about love, that there's a certain kind of love that John is talking about here. And it's the love that comes from God that he wants to fill our hearts so we know who he is and we know that we're loved and we know that we're people loved. And in sowing, knowing that, we're transformed to spread that to others. Now, the key to interpreting the Bible, anytime we study the Bible and we look at the Bible and we want to apply it to ourselves, we have to follow one key principle, and that is we have to know what was going on in the letter at the time. You can't just read the Bible and then immediately apply it to you and your context in 2018 here in Wisconsin Rapids without knowing what the context was of what this letter was written in. It will protect you from misinterpretations. And so the context of what was going on when John wrote this, and he wrote this to a specific church, was that the church was being bombarded by a false teaching. A false teaching was coming into the church, and they're, they're saying that Jesus really was kind of a spirit. He really wasn't flesh. He really wasn't human. He just was kind of like this ghost. And that was this false teaching that came in, and that had a lot of ramifications, especially for the cross. And John was writing to counteract that. But what he loved is this church stood firm. They didn't bow to the teaching. They resisted the teaching. And when he saw how they resisted this teaching, he saw that they knew the truth. They didn't abandon the truth. They lived it out. 
And then he saw that they lived right lives. They didn't like go into sin and fall away into sin. They stood firm. But his question, though, is in the midst of doing the right thing and standing for truth, in the midst of standing firm and, and being holy before God, do you still have love? Because it looked like they had all the right answers. And it looked like they stood and lived a life of integrity. But he didn't see a lot of love. And he said, you know, that shows us that we can be right with our doctrine. We can stand and have a life of integrity and character and still lack love. And he's saying, I don't want the church to look like that. I want you to be a church of love because that's who God is. And so that's where he was coming from. And so he commands them to love one another, and he gives two reasons why they should do that. The first reason is this. They should love one another because God is the source of love. God is the source of love. John says this in two ways. First, in verse 7, he says, love comes from God. God is the source. And then in verse 8, he makes it even more clear and says, God is love. The first one indicates that God is the source of all real, true love. This is why you must be born again and be in God to know a certain kind of love that comes from God. This true love that comes from Him comes as we give our lives to Him. Love involves emotions of acceptance and joy and peace and all that stuff, but the love that comes from God has another element to it. There's a willingness to act on the other's best interest. There's a willingness to serve another person and lay your life down and serve in their best interest. God did that with us, meeting our greatest need a human being could ever have, though it cost him everything. The ability and the power to do that, that is love, and it's from God. So he says, love comes from God. He makes that point. Then the second one is even more clear where he says, God is love. The essence of who God is is love. In his very nature, God is love. And the way he lays this out in this passage is absolutely powerful because God is one, but he's expressed in three persons of the Trinity. And in this passage, he shows us how the Trinitarian view of love because in verse 7 to 8, the reference is to God the Father. When he says, let us love one another because love is from God, those who love have been born of God and knows God, that's God the Father. And then in verses 9 to 11, it says God, God the Father, reveals himself in this way. God sent his one and only Son. So now we have God the Son doing love. And then verses 12, the references to the Holy Spirit, that God remains in us. In other words, God the Father is love, God the Son is love, and God the Spirit is love. God is love in essence, and it's expressed even in the three persons of the Trinity. God never had a beginning. Did you know that? He never had a beginning. He always existed, and that's hard for us to wrap our minds around, but he always existed, and because God always existed in the form of the Trinity, love always existed. There was always this love between the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. That's who he is. So there's always been love. And so if we're going to enter in as the people of God and to be God's children, and we encounter the love God has, it's a natural reaction that we will love one another 
Because that is who he is. And if we surrender our hearts to him and we become made new in him, we love one another. And so the key to loving one another is to know that you're loved by God. And that's what John is getting at here. The reason we are to love one another is because God is love and he is the source of love. And if we as his people, we carry that love to all places. We're supposed to be living and representing the love of God. The second reason that we are supposed to love one another is because God sent his son, Jesus. God sent his son, Jesus. That's what we celebrate this Christmas season, that Jesus came. God sent his son. Jesus is God in human flesh. He sent his son to show us a mission to show us what God is like. But bigger than that, Jesus' mission was to come and live the perfect life on earth that you and I cannot live because of sin. And then he went to the cross, sinless and perfect. And at the cross, he took on our sin and paid the punishment that was truly ours. All of our sin and all the punishment towards our sin, he put upon himself. And then God the Father punished sin on the cross by placing that upon his Son that we may have eternal life. The motivation for that act was love. The motivation for that act was love. Do you want to know what love is? Do you want to know if God truly loves you? Look at the story of Jesus Christ and what Jesus did for us. Look at verse 9. God's love was revealed among us in this way. Here's how God reveals his love. God sent his one and only son into the world that we may live through him. You see, that's how we live in love. We live our lives through the life of Jesus Christ. When you give your life to Jesus Christ, you no longer live. Now Jesus Christ lives through you. You are in Christ. You are clothed in his righteousness because you are in Christ. And then you live your life with the love of God coming through you because you are in Christ. That's who he is, and that's what his mission was. What is love? How do we know what love is? I want us to consider three aspects in God sending his son. Three aspects of love in God sending his son. First of all, God sent his son. Emphasis on son. He sent his son. God gave the very best there was to give. He could not give anything of more value or more worth. God gave himself. He gave his one and only son. And some say, yeah, but he got his son back. So maybe that isn't really true. But I think we have to really realize what happened when God came to earth for us to understand how precious of a gift this was. You take the Son of God, who's the creator of all things. He created the universe. He created the earth. He created human beings. He gave us our breath. He sustains it. The reason we're able to get up this morning and breathe and shovel our driveways with snow to come here to worship is because God, the Son, is sustaining and moving and allowing all these things to happen. He's in charge of all the laws of the universe. He is ruling and reigning constantly. And then he comes to earth in the form of a human being, and he comes in the form of a baby. And the creator of the universe humbles himself to the point where he allows creation to take care of him, to change his diaper, 
Do you see the humility in this? And you see the love in this? And then he goes to the cross. As he lives and he goes to the cross and he takes on our sin like I just talked about and bears the wrath of a holy God and takes the punishment that you and I were supposed to take. And in that moment, God the Father had to pour out his wrath, his punishment for sin upon his son. Now think about this. I told you that God always was. He always has been here. He's never had a beginning. God always existed. So that meant that God the Father, God the Son, and God the Spirit were in perfect relationship with one another always. No dysfunction. It was the most healthy relationship and is the most healthy relationship that ever existed. They're in perfect relationship with one another. They always have, and they have perfect love towards one another. And they love each other in a way that we as human beings will never, ever be able to comprehend totally. And now God the Son, Jesus, comes, and he goes on the cross. And when he takes on our sin, God the Father has to turn his love from his Son, who's now cursed with our sin, and then pour out all of his holy wrath upon his Son. When we talk about Good Friday and we see, you know, all the images of the crucifixion, we look at the the physical torture that was to Jesus, but I don't think we understand the emotional torture it was for God to send his son to die for our sins on the cross. Because in that moment, perfect love and perfect relationship was broken and opposed. And Jesus stood in the place of the enemies of God, us, and God the Father had to pour out wrath upon his son. And you know why he did this? Because he loves us. Jesus and God and the Spirit love us. And so they wanted to bring us into relationship with him. And so they paid this cost. God loves you so much he sent his son. We have to remember what that is like. Not only did God send his son, but God sent his son to die. God sent his son to die. If Jesus came to earth just to be an example of how we should live, that would have been amazing in and of itself. If Jesus came to earth just to show us, hey, here's what God is like, that would have been good in and of itself. But Jesus didn't come just as an example and just to show us what God is like and just to uh, live that out. Jesus came to die. He came to willingly become our sin Because we were in a very desperate situation. God cannot have anything to do with sin because he is perfect in his holiness. But we are human beings who sin in action and in our nature because of what Adam and Eve did in the garden. We are sinful beings. And so we are separated from a holy God. And God saw us in this situation and he knew that the human race is on a collision course. We're on a collision course directly to eternal conscious punishment. We are on a collision course directly to be tormented forever and ever and ever in eternity when we die. And he saw us in that state. And in that state, he said, I'm going to enact a plan called the gospel where Jesus is going to come and he's going to die. Because someone has to pay for sin. God is holy. He can't just put sin under a cover and pretend like it's not there. That wouldn't be just. That wouldn't be holy. Sin has to be paid for. And we were the ones who were supposed to pay for our sin. And we were going to pay by being gone on a pathway right to hell. 
And God saw us in that pathway. He saw us on that trajectory. And he sent his son and said, I'm going to do something different. I'm going to save my people from their sin. And the way I'm going to do that is I'm going to send Jesus Christ. And Jesus Christ is going to die. You see, that's what was happening on the cross. Sin was being paid. Do you see how much God loves you? He spared you from eternal conscious punishment in hell. It's not like we, sometimes we have this idea that we have this ability to choose where, yeah, I can, the gospel message comes to me and I can choose whether I want to do it or not. And if I do it, I get saved. But we have to understand, it's not like you're in this place of neutrality. It's not like you're in this place of neutrality where you can decide. No, you are every human being that's ever sinned, which is every human being, is on their way to hell forever and ever. Eternal conscious punishment. That is your destiny as a human being. That's the default. There's nothing neutral. And God saw that, and he enacted a plan to say, if you come and you repent and you believe and you put your trust in me and are made new, I will give you eternal life and I will save you from the destiny of hell. You see the love in that? That's what God did. Every analogy of the Trinity has limitations, but I want to give you this picture of what God did in saving us. Say a family is trapped in a forest fire, and so a helicopter flies over and undertakes a rescue. And one firefighter flies the helicopter over the smoky blaze to coordinate the operation and see the big picture. The second firefighter descends on a rope into the billowing, smoky, hot forest to track down the family and stand with them. Once he locates the family, he wraps the rope around them, attaching them to himself. And they are lifted up together from the blaze into safety. In this rescue operation, the first firefighter is God the Father, looking over, seeing the whole situation from above, sovereignly orchestrating his plan. And the second firefighter looks like the sun, who descends into the world ablaze to find us, the human family, and identify with us most deeply in the darkest areas of the grave, without sinning, but yet seeing and being in the world. The Holy Spirit is like the rope who sustains the presence of the Father and Jesus, even at this distance, and raises Jesus and the human family with him from sin, death, and the grave into the presence of the Father. Of course, the analogy always breaks down. The Holy Spirit is a person, not a thing like a rope. And the Father, Son, and Spirit are not totally separate, but they're together one God, sharing a divine nature. But yet you see this picture of God's heart in saving humanity and bringing us to him. So God gave us his son. God gave us his son to die. And finally, God gave his son to sinners. God gave his son to sinners. Look at verse 10. Love consists in this. Not that we loved God because we are opposed to him and being sinning, but he loved us and sent his son to be the atoning sacrifice for our sins, to be that one on the cross that takes it in. 
Who does Jesus die for? Does he die for the perfect sinner or the perfect Christian who has it all together and is totally righteous? No. God dies for the rebellious enemies against God, which is anyone who's ever committed cosmic treason by sinning. God dies, Jesus dies on the cross while we were enemies of God. He went and did this. God dies for those who live as though they hate God. He sees them on their way to everlasting hell, and for these his heart is moved. For these, his heart is broken. For these, he longs to bring back into right relationship with his Father. And so that's why he goes to the cross. God sent his best to die for those who could care less about him. That's how loving he is. Do you see how much love is in God the Father, God the Son, and God the Spirit? Do you understand this kind of love? He saved us from the worst torture we can ever imagine, which would last forever and ever. While we were on our own selfish path, he reached down and grabbed us and pulled us to himself through the work of Jesus Christ on the cross. We had no idea the eternal stakes. God saw it from afar and moved and did something. So many people say, if God is so loving, why does he let all these bad things happen? I say, don't you understand what God has done? The fair thing is we all banish and perish. But God stepped in with mercy and grace and love and saved us when we are on a destination for eternal hell. That's love. When John writes this and he opens with dear friends or beloved, he says these are people that I'm writing to, that I truly care about. And I feel his angst as a pastor, as a pastor to say, how I so want you all to know this love. I so desperately want you to know the love of God that he has for you because when you know God's love, it will radically change your life. And it will radically change our church. And it will radically change our city because all of a sudden this idea that God loves me transforms our heart. Now we begin to be the people of love that God desires us to be. And so this week I was praying, God, would you create in Crossview Church family this unbelievable expression of your love. You know, Jesus prayed this amazing prayer in John 17. He said, God, I pray that the love you have for me, God the Father to God the Son, will be in my people them. Can you imagine us loving the Son of Jesus Christ with the same power and affection that God the Father does? That was Jesus' prayer for us, that we would know this love. So how do you know if you know God's love? How do you know? If you know God's love, I'm going to give you three quick tests if you know God's love. First, when you know God's love, you lose the idea that God is against you. When you know God's love, you lose the idea that God is against you. For many of us as Christians, we feel like God is up there with this hammer, and I think this is why we feel like we can't be ourselves all the time with God. And the minute we do something wrong, he's out to get us. And we picked up this false idea. There's a sense that God is out to get us and it's not true. And so how do you know you've tasted God's love? You begin to realize that God is not against you. Number two, how do you know God's love? 
this fear of God that he's out to get us is replaced with a love and an awe for God. This fear of God that he's out to get us is is almost converted into a holy fear, that the fear doesn't totally disappear, but the fear becomes this reverent awe for who God is, and it brings our heart into worship. Hebrews says we approach God with reverence and a godly fear. We no longer stand hating God, thinking that he's out to get us. We now stand humbled, amazed, overwhelmed at his power and his goodness. And it causes us to worship our entire lives. Finally, we know the love of God when we develop this sense of, that God really does love us. Romans talks about in our spirit, there'll be this sense that we're adopted as his children, that God really does love us. God's love is something that we can truly experience in this life. You can sense it. You can experience it. We lose the sense that God is against us, and we begin to sense that he really does love us, that God is kind to us, that he's concerned about us, The Bible says it's God's loving kindness that leads us to repentance, that we begin to see and understand. We can experience God's love here and now. So here are some things I want you to do this week. First of all, if you've never known God in a personal way, if you never came to the place where you said, you know, God... I am a sinner, I need you, and I want to invite you into my life and begin a personal relationship with you. If you've never done that, because perhaps you didn't understand what God's love meant for you, let this be the day you do that. You are on a a collision course to eternal conscious punishment in hell unless you come and repent and believe and become a new believer in Christ. That is your destiny And when you become a new believer in Christ, your destiny shifts from hell to heaven to be with him forever. And you have to make that decision because by default you're going to eternal conscious punishment. And if you've never come to a place in your life where you made the decision to follow Jesus, today is the day to do that. And say, God, all you have to do is say, God, I want you in my life. I want to follow you. And then you begin pursuing him by prayer and reading the Bible and doing these things. But make that decision today to do that. This week, I want you to look, and there's a reading plan laid out for you in the bulletin, to read through this passage of 1 John 4, 7 to 21. It's broken out, of course, over the course of six days. And I encourage you to take time and read that and ask God to show you his love. Say, God, will you show me your love in this? And then, to echo John's statement of love one another, the command, I encourage you to look at the giving tree like Maureen and Jen have been putting together and talking about. What a better way to demonstrate love than to go to somebody who's hopeless and say, I want this love that God has filled my heart with to be poured out on you. And if it's not the giving tree, then find somewhere else to display that love for another person. Let's go before God and ask him to help us know his love. Please bow your heads with me as I pray. God, I just ask now that you would move by your spirit 
and you would allow these three evidences we talked about, the idea that we learn and know that you're not against us, the idea that that feeling of being against is changed to a holy awe in worship and love, and that sense that you really do truly love us. God, I pray that those things would happen in our midst by your Spirit. God, I ask now for my brothers and sisters here with me in this room and myself, would you reveal your love to us in a deeper way than we have experienced it to this point? Would you make it by the power of your Spirit that we would know divine love I ask that this Christmas season that we enter now, when Christmas Day comes, we can look back and I pray and I ask today that we could say on Christmas Day, the greatest gift I received is over the last four weeks, God showed me how much he loves me. Will you let that happen, Lord, by your spirit? I ask you move among us and do that now as we consecrate our hearts before you during this Advent season, I ask that you'd move upon us and reveal your love to us. And I pray this in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Please stand as we worship.